0: Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah
1: study. For the last few weeks we've been setting the scene, setting the stage, and now we actually have um, this set of encounters that brings the Jewish people uh, into being. Lech Lecha, the call to Avram to set out. And we have... As part of this story, we're in our, remember, we're in the third year of the triennial cycle. This year, we're reading the last third of every Torah portion. This year. Next year, we'll read the first third of every Torah portion. So, in reading the last third, what we have here is this amazing story of an encounter between a handmaiden and the divine. An amazing story that that this Parsha begins with the call to Avram, the first time the patriarch uh, has an understanding that he's in relationship to the divine and answers the call. Uh, Sarai, his wife, supports him in that. I would love to hear that conversation. <laughs> honey, an invisible voice has told me we need to leave everything we know and go somewhere. Where is that, honey? I don't know. This invisible voice says it will show me. I'll know it when we get there. right? So... I would love that conversation, but what's what I love, really, really love, is that at the end of that whole big chapter of it's the first call, it's the beginning of the Jewish people, what we have is this amazing encounter uh, in, the, in the midbar, in the wilderness. All right, so let's look at chapter 16. We're going to stay, as we tend to do in Genesis, we're going to stay close to the text because that's where the riches are. Um, rather than in a whole lot of commentary, we're going to stay very close to the text uh, and and explicate it together because it's it's a fantastic scene. 16. Somebody read this encounter, but not everybody all at once.
0: Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She she had an Egyptian maid servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Look, the Lord has kept me from bearing. Consort with my maid. Perhaps I shall have a son through her. And Abram heeded Sarai's request. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took her maid, Hagar the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt in the land of Canaan ten years, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as concubine. He cohabited with Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was lowered in her esteem. And Sarai <coughs> said to Abram, The wrong done me is your fault. I put I myself put my maid in your bosom. Now that she sees that she is pregnant, I am lowered in her esteem. The Lord decide between you and me. Abram said to Sarai, Your maid is in your hands. Deal with her as you think right. Then Sarai treated her harshly, and she ran away from her. An angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the road to Shur, and said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? And she said, I am running away from my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her harsh treatment. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly increase your offspring, and they shall be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child and shall bear a son. You shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has paid heed to your suffering. He shall be a wild ass of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. He shall dwell alongside of all his kinsmen. And she called the Lord who spoke to her. Are you El Roy? By which she meant, Have I not gone on seeing after he saw me? Therefore the well was called Ber Lahai Roy. It is between Kadesh and Bered. Hagar bore a son to Abram, and Abram gave the son that Hagar bore him, the name Ishmael. Abram was... 86 years old when Hagar born Ishmael to Abram. Okay.
1: There's our story. All right, thank you, Richard. The story begins, this Sarai, and Sarai, or but Sarai. Immediately, we've got a disjunctive or a conjunctive. We're not sure, but it's it's not a standalone. Right? It, it connects back to the fact that. We understand this to be our story of origins, and we know that that Avram and Sarai are going to be the parents of the Jewish people, but not yet. Instead, we get this other episode. So Sarai, Eshet Avram, Sarai, who is the wife of Avram, Lo Yaldalo, had not given birth to him, for him. Vela shivcha, but. She has a shifcha. What's a shifcha? A handmaiden, mitzrit, Egyptian, ushma, hagar, and her name was hagar. Right. So, what what is a shifcha? How is that different from an eved? How is a shifcha different from a slave? Any ideas? So there's this very special relationship between the shivcha and her mistress. Most of the commentaries assume that Hagar is given to, like, why is she an Egyptian handmaid? How does Sarai come to be in possession of an Egyptian handmaiden?
0: Have the king who, uh, who gave her.
1: So Sarai was taken into the palace of Pharaoh. Do we remember this? She's taken into Pharaoh's palace. When Pharaoh discovers that she is, in fact, married, one of the sister-wife narratives, when when it becomes obvious that Avram has lied and Sarai is actually married, Pharaoh tries to get rid of her because he knows, like, bad things happen when you sleep with women who are off-limits. And so... And, and actually, we're told some things happen. And um, so... Pharaoh gets rid of her and gives a lot of money to them to go, go on, take her, go get out of here, right? So one of the things that she acquires at that point is, according to tradition, Hagar. Is that in Torah or
0: somewhere
1: else? We are not told exactly, we're told they're given servants, right? Male and female slaves. And so it's assumed Hagar is one of those. Where else would she have acquired, I guess the question is, an uh, uh, Egyptian handmaiden, and why? So she's got a shifcha. She has a handmaiden. They've been together now how long? About ten years. At least. Ten years. All right. So we can't miss the the play on Words here, when we say hagar, right? What do we hear, if we know Hebrew at all, when we see or hear hagar? The yes. Thank you. We have to hear hager. Right? Hagar, hager. Hagar is hager, the stranger. She is out of her element, she's out of her culture, she's out of her original situation. She's Ger, stranger. She's Shifcha. She is a handmaiden. She is with Sarai for a while. She's Egyptian. That's what we know so far. So Sarai says to Avram, what does she say? He ne na, right? yo. Behold, if you will, God has stopped me, miledet, from bearing. Bona el shivchati. come, therefore, please, into my shifha, into my handmaiden. Ulai ibane mimena. And perhaps, what did, Richard, what does your translation say? I love this. What does your translation say? Perhaps, perhaps what?
0: Perhaps, uh, I'm sorry. Um. Was looking, oh perhaps I shall have a son through her. Okay,
1: perhaps I shall have a son through her. Nowhere in the Hebrew. Not there. Ooh. Lisa, what does your translation say? Okay. Perhaps what? Same. 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 Same.
0: Same. Same.
1: Perhaps yeah, I will perhaps has, have a it is saying yeah, the same thing, but there were many things that were different. Love that. Okay. Nowhere is it in the Hebrew. Yes, what does the Hebrew say? Come into my shivcha, Ulai, and perhaps. Ibane Mimena, Ibane, we had Bane last week in the Tower of Babel story. What is Bane? Ha <laughs> yes. So what is she saying? Ulai Ibane, that Aleph is I future. Perhaps I will be built Mimena from her. right? Perhaps I will be built up through her. (laughs) You're exactly right, Ruben. It it does not turn out that way, (laughs) Which, (laughs) which is why it says perhaps. Love that. All right, so This is very important. Sometimes I just pick on it because I pick on it. But this is really important. Because if you don't have this translation, you miss the point of the story. Perhaps I will have a son through her. Yes, that is what it ultimately is getting at. But notice the language. The language doesn't say son. The language says, I will be built up. This is about Sarai and her status. This is about Sarai and her position in the family. Her position in the clan. Her position in the tribe. This is not about a son. I mean, ultimately, yes. It's going to take a son for that to happen. But do you hear what I'm saying? Do you hear the, the difference in the Hebrews focus? The Hebrews focus is Sarai is saying, this is about me. My status. That is achieved through sons. But the point is, is Sarai being built up.
0: So why do both, in both translations, is it translated that way?
1: What do you think? Well, I can think, you
0: know. Well, what do you I, think? Well, I think it's a patriarchal.
1: I think you're <laughs> right. <laughs> I think you're exactly right. Yeah, I
0: here, but,
1: but I Correct. It's but it's it's the women's commentary. It's a good point. It's the women's Torah commentary. The text is JPS. The text is the JPS translation. Mm-hmm. So... So this is a perfect example of the ways our story has been translated, transmitted, transmuted through patriarchy. And I'm not suggesting it's wrong. The translation is not wrong that she's looking to have a son. That's exactly how she will be built up. So it's not wrong, but it's not what it says. Do you know what I mean? It shifts the focus just enough that we miss, in um, some people's estimation, we miss kind of the point of the story. One of those scholars is Savina Tuval. And Savina Tuval, uh, of blessed memory, wrote this wonderful book, Hagar the Egyptian. And it's all about these two episodes. We only have two episodes with Hagar. This one and chapter 21. And she says, originally, this had nothing to do with Avram. Originally, this was between two women who are battling for their own leadership status within the clan.
0: Yeah, I guess in, in uh, Sarai's mind, she's kind of borrowing a, a belly. Yes. Like what? Yes. They just, the, the yes.
1: Wasn't clear? She's borrowing a belly. Absolutely. But Not borrowing. She's, she has complete control over the use of that womb. Complete control because Hagar is her shivcha. The womb's
0: commentary actually yeah. does capture it. Yeah.
1: Does it? Somewhere? In absolutely.
0: Good. get the point about the translation
1: difference
0: between built and specifically here. Good. Good.
1: Yeah. Good. So the translation, right, is already said. It's the JPS translation. But to Sarah's point, um, that at least, in, and to Daniel's point, in the women's Torah commentary, they're at least going to point out the translation misses the nuance of, and focus of the Hebrew.
0: So something, I mean, I don't know if it's going to be clarified. But it will. Something happen in the miscommunication or...
1: That, that's exactly where we're going next. So... This year, you know, like, I've studied this text, as you can imagine, a long time. Um, I've taught this text at the university level when I taught women in the Hebrew Bible um, at the university. The, I've taught this text many times. This year, I'm choosing to read the text through the eyes of Savina Tuval. Because I think it was the first time, first of all, I actually sat and slogged through, like, every page of her book about this episode. And I'm convinced by some things that she argues. One of the things she argues is where is Sarai from? Like, what what are the laws and rules and cultural norms that informs Sarai?
0: She's from Egypt.
1: Hagar's from Egypt.
0: uh, Hagar's from
1: Egypt. Mesopotamia, somewhere. somewhere,
0: Yes. Yes.
1: They come from Mesopotamia. They don't know from Israelite anything. Their context is Mesopotamia, ancient Near Eastern Mesopotamian law. If we look at that cultural context, it is completely normative that someone who does not have children would take a slave and through that slave have a child, this was completely normative. We have, in the Code of Hammurabi, we have situations where there is a priestess who is childless, because priestesses were supposed to remain childless, um, but when it comes time for them to die, somebody's got to pour out the libations you know, in their memory. Ancestor worship was very important in that culture. Who's going to do that for me when I'm gone? Who's going to say Kaddish for me? So they would adopt a child... Who then is obligated to say Kaddish. I'm I'm obviously using that as a euphemism because that's what works. Like That's what gets us in the Kishkas. Who's going to say Kaddish for me? Libations don't exactly mean a lot for us. But um, who's going to do that for me? They would adopt a child knowing that they needed someone to do that for them when they were gone. Slaves, you used their muscle, you used their labor, you used their ingenuity, and you used their womb. It was no different. So it's it's common that you would have this adoption of a child that you are entitled to as yours, a because it's a slave, and or because you know you um, just adopt the child after it's already born. Yeah, yeah. But um, said that she was not exactly slave. She so there seems to be a difference between Shivcha and Eved. So thank you for bringing me back to that point. There's a difference between a regular slave and a Shivcha. And it seems that Shivcha is a closer relationship, it is more a relationship of equals. If you think about A princess would be given, you know, a a handmaiden, someone of high status, someone cultured as a companion. Now their, their status is slave because they were conquered, their people were conquered in a war. But presumably a shivcha is a member of the household, is very close to the, um, what's the boss? (laughs) Thank you. Very close to the mistress is is very much a companion, and we have no indication, not that the Bible is so interested in that, but we have no indication that there's any tension between Hagar and Sarai. None. We have no indication in 10 years that there's any problem between the two of them. She's very quick, Sarai, I'm obviously looking for a picture that I can't find. Um, she's very quick, Sarai, to say, okay, I'm not bearing. Supposedly, we're going to be a people, Uh, I'm in my 90s. How's that gonna happen? Right? Um, and, or my late 80s, 86, uh, Avram is at this point. So, how is that supposed to happen? So, she, she obviously understands that she's not gonna bear a child the normal way. It is very much a part of Mesopotamian tradition to have a child a different way. And that's exactly what she, uh, suggests to, Avram, which is, take my shibcha, and I will be built up through her. Okay?
0: Well, the very fact that she is suggesting it, rather than Avram suggesting it, says it's for her. uh, I I never realized that she was the one who suggested it. Right?
1: Right? Because often we see these stories from a patriarchal, through a patriarchal lens, which they were, told through a patriarchal lens and then we have patriarchal interpretations of them. If we go back to the Mesopotamian tradition, Sarai is looking for an heir for herself, not for Avram. She wants an heir for herself. Her fortune would have been matrilineal, matrilocal. It would have gone through the mother. She's looking for for perhaps a daughter right she's looking for her heir okay so she says i will be built up through her what happens avram lakol sarai and avram hears listens to the voice of sarai Notice it doesn't say he obeys what she says. He listens to her voice. The rabbis have a lovely interpretation that says Avram listens to the quality of her voice, her pain. He's not, he's not listening to her words he's, or obeying what she asks or fulfilling her request. He listens to her voice. He understands that she is in pain that she's in desperate need, that she is longing, and that's what he responds to and, and fulfills the request. Vatikach Sarai eshet Avram et Hagar Hamitrit right? Mikates eser shanim. So Sarai takes, right? She has the power to take. Hagar is a, in this case, an object, a vehicle. She takes... Hagal, the Egyptian, her handmaiden of ten years, right, to be with Avram. Vati ten ota lavram isha. She gives her to Avram as what? Isha. As a wife. As a wife. Mm-hmm. wife number two. All right, that right there is important. It seems she has the power to make this happen. Hagar doesn't have a choice. It also says that she's given to Avram as Isha, as a wife. These are sister wives. She's, her status in some ways has been raised. She's not just used as a tool and then thrown away, right? Her, she becomes Isha to Avram. That's a big change in the family system, right? Vayavo el-Hagar, and he came into Hagar, vatahar, and she conceives. It seems pretty fast, right? It doesn't say, and 17 years later, right? It doesn't seem that this is a long-term cohabitation. It's like, Boom! He goes in. She conceives, which means a. It's miraculous. It's got to be. This is a hero story. This is the birth of the hero. This is Isaac. This is our patriarch. It's a hero narrative. The hero is always conceived in some kind of right magical. Ishmael. Oh, sorry. Right. This is Ishmael. This is um uh. It's uh. It is a hero story for some people. Right. This is going to be. He's the progenitor of another people. Yitzchak is also going to be a miracle story. It has to be because he's our guy. He's our patriarch. He's our, right? So that's going to be a miracle story also. This has to happen in a miraculous way if these are going to be hoo-ha people on the scene. Ishmael definitely is, as we're going to see. All right, so uh, thank you for the correction. Uh, So she conceives pretty quickly. And she sees that she has become pregnant. Yeah? V'takel gvirta be'eneha. And her giveret, her mistress, becomes what? Object of scorn. Interesting. Object of scorn. I love these translations. The
0: Bible tells it so quickly.
1: Right? What is kal in Hebrew? Ah, that's a that's a cough, not a coof. Oh, but <laughs> but it sounds the same. That's kahal. But this is all good. <laughs> He's reading ahead. So this pink envelope that I put in my coffee in Hebrew is matok vikal. sweet and fake. light, fake. fake. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes, it is, uh, but it's matok vikal. sweet and light. So kal is easy as opposed to kashe, hard, but it's also light, so what... Remember in Jewish meditation, I talk a lot about kaved, about weight, kavod, presence. The opposite of weight, the opposite of mattering, matter, matter, I matter. Like, I'm solid. There's weight, kavod, presence, honor, glory is related to weight. What's the opposite of that? Light. Light. Light.
0: So does this also uh, tie into the use of the word build? in the sense that build is like a permanent, heavy nice. structure. And it's sort of like, well, the building is in me.
1: It's not in you. <laughs> She's supposed to be built up through this. Right. And instead, once Hagar realizes she has conceived, she treats Sarai as light, as not mattering. Right? There's nothing about scorn. We can imagine that it involves scorn, or whatever other words we want to use. The Hebrew is very clear. It's as if Sarai doesn't matter.
0: Inconsequential.
1: Inconsequential. And all that that might mean for a servant to be treating the mistress as if she's of no consequence. We can imagine what that might look like, yes? Yes. She's She's She's, she's sassy. She's wife number two. two. A good point, perhaps. Right? Her status changed when she was given to Avram. It certainly changes in her mind, at least, once she conceives. This is like unintended
0: consequences. (laughs) Right.
1: Right, which is where Savina Tuval goes. She says... There was an agreement between Sarai and Hagar. And something happens here and Hagar changes the agreement, changes the rule. We don't know why. We don't know based on what, but we get a clue. Don't we? We get a clue at the end of our story. Vatomer Sarai el and Here's the clue. Does Sarai go beat up Hagar? And say, get back into the guest quarters? She complains. No, she complains. What does she do? She goes to Avram, Avram, Avram and says, right? Hamasi Alecha. What's Hamas? Ah, the eyebrows go up. What's Hamas? Mistake. Worse.
0: Slave.
1: Worse violence Hamas is named what it's named Uh, they named themselves uh, the terrorist group Hamas named themselves Hamas Hamas means violence chaos where's the last time we saw Hamas we saw that recently in this book what happened as a result of Hamas last time the flood the earth was filled with so much Hamas that God destroys the world. Sarai turns to Avram and says, Hamasi Alecha. The violence that has been done to me is on you.
0: <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. <laughs>
1: So maybe Abraham did not obey, did did not follow through the way he should have. So this is Savina Tuval's conclusion, exactly what Diane said. Because you're right. Otherwise, it seems a little obvious. Unless Avram has done something that has abrogated the agreement between the women. He's done something that has changed how, exactly, how Hagar sees Sarai, and, how she, and you know Torah. is really not about perspective. Torah's about behavior. She treats Sarai differently as, as if she's of no consequence. And she doesn't blame Hagar. That is the theory. Right. That is the theory of people like Sabina Tuval who say this is not about two women fighting. This is about... He has stepped in between a situation that these women had worked out and has changed the dynamic in a way that Sarai is furious, not with Hagar. She's furious with Avram. That is a. That is exactly one of the operating theories is he does something that upsets the the, the situation in terms of what they had agreed to.
0: He's too interested. In. Well, interested he
1: interested, but he likes her because she's giving him a son that a child. And he's kissing her belly. Kissing her belly. <laughs> Rubbing her feet <laughs> as they're small and kissing her belly, Exactly. <laughs> Right? All right. (laughs) Hamasi alecha. My suffering, my... The violence being done to me, alecha, is on you. Anochi natati shivchati. I gave you my shivcha. I gave you my shivcha. And now that she sees, right, that she has conceived... Right, I am lowered in her eyes Akel, i am I am insignificant, I'm lightened right. um, and not I don't mean light and dark right light as opposed to heavy, like in her eyes, let you have judge between me and you, Savina so Duval says when you're gonna call in the deity. First of all, big time, right? You're calling in the God who witnessed the agreement. And she says, don't read between me and you, Avram, that Sarai, this is all from vowels. How do we know who Sarai is talking to? Let God judge between you and me. We know, we know that she's talking to Avram only by the vowels. In the Torah text, there are no vowels. And Savina Tuval says, don't read Ben Beni Uvein Ha. Between me and you, Avram, let God, she turns to Hagar and says, let God judge between me and you. Meaning the deity witnessed our deal, witnessed our agreement. You've broken that agreement because of something that guy did, right? And she's clearly letting Avram know who she thinks is to blame for that. And it's not Hagar, but she calls in the deity to say, all right, we now have a problem. We now have a situation. She's mad at Avram and she's let him know it. And then it's his fault. She's not blaming Hagar. She calls in the deity to say, now we have to, we're going to have to figure this out. I believe God's on my side because we had an agreement. Let yud heh judge between us. So
0: they're all three in the room. She tells him...
1: This is your fault.
0: It's your fault, and then turns to her and says, "I've it."
1: Correct. That is Savina Tuval's reading. I I absolutely think it is absolutely possible. If you don't have vowels in the text, in some ways it makes sense that she turns to Hagar to say, "Now we're calling in Yudhei Vavhei to to judge between us." Because how does how is God going to judge between Sarai and Avram? Yeah. Like what? Well, yeah, exactly. What does that look like? It doesn't make a a lot of sense. Um, It makes some sense because she said, you know, what's happened to me is your fault. Let God judge between you and me. But what does that look like? What does that mean? I I don't know. It it seems to make a little bit more sense that she would turn to Hagar and say, we're going to call in the God before whom we swore. and, And let that God decide. Vayomer Avram el Sarai. And what does Avram say to Sarai? Take care of it <laughs> <laughs> He throws
0: up <out laughs> his hands, hands and says, whatever you want, go ahead and
1: do it. That sounds very familiar. That sounds very familiar, some people say. Whatever. So, you, it, it's your Shivcha. She's in your hands. Do with her what you will. It's, it, you, Whatever you want, dear, right? Just keep me out of it and keep me safe from both of y'all, right? And keep God out of it, please. What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> right? So, I promise you, uh, whatever, whatever, do with her as you see fit is what is, is exactly what he says to her, right? Asela hatov be'enech. Do what is good to her in your eyes. And he doesn't take any responsibility that he may have done something that he needs to change. Shocking, though it is, <laughs> he takes no responsibility for having done anything. Notice he doesn't argue with Sarai. Right? He doesn't say she's wrong. <laughs> That's right. He was so. So this is another place. People like the scholars, like Sabina Tubal, say it's it's an indication that in fact he did something because he doesn't even argue. Like he says, "Okay, do do I get it? Do what you want. I have messed up." Possibly. Like, we're just always putting these things in parentheses because the Torah text is very terse. But one could imagine he's like, uh, no, but I think about it. The pearl earrings, (laughs) probably not a good idea. Right? The couples massage by the sea, probably not a good idea. (laughs) But. And so we get now that she's to do Sarai's to do whatever she wants with Hagar, and she afflicts Hagar, who flees from her presence. There's
0: there's a note in the in the red book uh, that makes me think that there's also something going on about the the does, does the primacy of Mesopotamian law continue or do we go to a, new, a newer relationship in status between individuals? Because the, there's a note on, on 87 that says, the laws of Hammurabi deal with the problem of the female slave concubine who bears children and claims equality with her mistress. They prescribe that the insolent concubine be reduced to slave status and again bear the slave mark.
1: If she's not born a child to the master, according to the code of Hammurabi, she can be sold right. for that. If she's already born a child, and in this case I'm you know, if she's pregnant with the child, she cannot be sold she, but she will be the the slave status will be Reinstated. reinforced. Right. in our case, to your question, we don't know because she flees, and she's going to flee again in 21. And she's not going to go back At the end of 21 She doesn't go back
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So It's an interesting question Um, And when we we get to 21 I'm not sure if we're reading On the triennial cycle But she becomes A matriarch Right right? Yishmael becomes her heir And she becomes the mother of a people Exactly Exactly right But we got to get through this, this Wow What happened at the time? All right. So so she runs away from Sarai. Now, we can't forget that affliction, oppression, this is Sarai doing this to an Egyptian. What are we going to see at the beginning of the book of Exodus? Egyptians afflicting
0: Israel.
1: The Egyptians afflicting Israel. Same word. The same word used here, what Sarai does to the Egyptian, is exactly the word that's going to be used for what the Egyptians do to the Hebrews. So she flees, and what happens? And a malach of vav Vavhe finds her. Where does the malach find her? Where is she? Ah, uh, of course. Of course she is. She's baal. She's in the wilderness. Because this is where these kinds of things happen. In the liminal places. Hagar is out of place. She's in the open, liminal space of the wilderness. Right? She's not in her usual station. She's not in her usual situation. And my uh, classmate, good friend, and colleague, Rabbi Toba Spitzer wrote an article, where do you come from and where are you going? Hagar's encounter uh, with with this malach, according to my friend and colleague Toba, says that it's important that it happens in the midbar because this is where she is not actually shivcha. Right? Because she's out of complete context. She's dropped into the middle of nowhere. And in that place... Right? The, the angel of the Lord, as your translation says, found her by Ein Hamayim. By what? Water. A spring of water. What does water always symbolize and mean in Torah? Something good. Life. Something good. Nourishment. Being able to sustain oneself. Of course that's where it's going to happen. Right? <laughs> and it's on the way to shur okay vayomer hagar shifchat sarai and hagar the shifcha of sarai says, oh sorry and the slave says to her right hagar shifchat sarai hagar handmaiden of sarai where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm running away on account of my mistress, Sarai. This is the first time Hagar is addressed by name. And it is by the Malach. This is the first time we have an encounter with a Malach in Genesis. Who is the first person Who was the first person to encounter a Malach? Hmm? Haggah. And who is she? An Egyptian slave. In our story, is the first one to have contact with a Malach. Wait a minute.
0: Doesn't Jacob... Jacob isn't born yet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> the, what
1: about Noah? doesn't <laughs> ha- encounter a malach <laughs> Adam and Eve in the garden, they do they not encounter the, a malach the,
0: the guardians.
1: Do, they do not encounter the malach we are told a guardian is put there they do not they have a conversation, a conversation or an encounter with a malach how do you say nachash No. And it's, I mean, it, it's a Mesopotamian symbol. It's very common. You have to have an achash. So what do you make of that? that this, ah, this, 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 okay. thank you. <laughs> what do I make of that? How crazy is it that our foundational narrative has the first encounter with an angel of Adonai be an Egyptian? Slave woman. The lowest of the lowest of the low. She's pregnant. She's a fugitive. She's of the enemy. Egypt was the enemy She's of unmarried Israel. Unmarried. unmarried. Or at least, at least out of her husband's home. Right? You don't do that in the ancient world. <laughs> you don't leave home pregnant. It's bad enough now. Think about it. What is the worst situation any female in this room can think of? Right? Pregnant with nobody to take care of you and the child. Back then, you were toast. You were absolutely the most vulnerable of the vulnerable of the vulnerable. She's a daughter of the enemy and the lowest status you can be in the one of the lowest statuses you can be in the ancient world. This is the first encounter with the Malach in our own narrative. So to Daniel's question, that's exactly part of what it means for me. Right, is that we can't overlook anybody, ever. Not the enemy, not the people that we think we can treat however we want to, nobody, because each of them is addressed by the divine in their own way and have their own story. And the Ma'ach doesn't call her slave first. He calls her Hagar first, then her step. Where have you come from and where are you going? This is a question that gets asked a lot in Genesis, right? God calls in the garden, Ayeka, where are you? Like we've said, does God not have GPS? Why does the Malach ask her, where do you come from and where are you going? The Malach knows very well where she comes from. What's the Malach asking? Hmm? What
0: she
1: think? Does, she know. Does she know? What do you think, Hagar?
0: Well, it, or it's another way of putting it, it's similar to the questions that are asked in the, in the garden, and, and after leaving the garden, it's like, where are you and where did you come from and where are you going are both ways of asking, where are you supposed to be?
1: So Toba Spitzer, my colleague, suggests the first question is where are you supposed to be? Where have you come from is where are you supposed to be? Where are you going? <clears throat> where are you going is a completely new question. It's a completely new idea. Like, what you doing, What's, your What's your plan? What do you, what do you think you're doing? Um, because generally, slaves don't get to decide that, they go where they're told. Told the Malach is suggesting to Agar you have agency. Where are you going? Suggests she has a choice. That's never been an option. It's also respectful of her. Very respectful.
0: But it follows immediately with telling her what to do. Okay, so talking. we're gonna go there. So I don't know. Why. So Laura's <laughs> like, so I don't understand
1: why everyone's making such a big deal about she doesn't decide where she's going. And
0: he calls her. And it's not God talking to her. It's my God, you know, underling. There's a difference between God talking to Noah and God talking to Adonide,
1: and then God sends an emissary. Right. And sends an undersecretary. But,
0: but not enough to make a direct call. This isn't my person. This is someone I want to take
1: care of. You know, it's a little bit different. Okay. So there's two ways, obviously, to read the story. Phyllis Tribble in her book, Texts of Terror... Reads it exactly like that and like that. She's a subordinate. She doesn't get a direct vision from God or a direct communication. She gets a message through a messenger, and she's bossed around and told what to do and to go back and submit to uh-huh. affliction and oppression. This is horrifying. And so, in, will be in
0: permanent opposition.
1: In texts of terror, that is exactly how Phyllis Tribble reads this. Joba so, Spitzer says she has missed the nuance. Let's look at the nuance. We're going to pretend mm-hmm. my way's the way to read it today, um, <laughs> no, but uh, because I, I just want to lift up the nuance because I think we do we do miss it when we just when we just go okay what happens is she has to go back. But let's let's pay attention, close attention to the nuance. What
0: totally
1: totally totally. <laughs> so Hagar. Right? She is called Shivcha, right? Of Sarai, right? Um, And then she says she's running away on account of Sarai, her mistress. And what does the Malach say? Go back. Shuvi, return to your mistress, right? Vehit ani, tachat yadeha, and submit yourself to affliction under her hands. All right. What's the nuance that Phyllis Tribble misses? Anybody get it? She's, there's
0: some sort of element of choice.
1: Correct. Correct. This this form of the verb is hitpael. It's reflexive. Right. We all know reflexive verbs to dress oneself. Right. It, in Hebrew, it's like in French, like je me brush. I, you know, I brush my hair. It's a it's a reflexive. Verb. it's hard in English we don't really have them in English but this is a reflexive verb in Hebrew meaning it is Hagar's choice to listen to the Malach or not the Malach doesn't pick her up and deliver her to Sarai's door the Malach says go back and choose to stay in that situation right and what does she say I mean, sorry, and he goes, and the Malach goes on. la um, ex- Exactly, and here's why. I will greatly increase your offspring, and they shall be too numerous to count. Does it say I will greatly increase Avram's offspring through you? No, because we've read chapter 21. We know she leaves. The child and its offspring really don't have much to do with Avram. I believe the question:
0: What is this story doing
1: here? <laughs> Reuben, I love you so much. What is this story even doing here? Right? Because it's a little crazy, isn't it? Because this has nothing to do with our patriarch. It has nothing to do with. How we become a people. It has to do with Hagar having a son and through through him having offspring too numerous to count. Who's the last person who got this promise made to them? Avram. She, right now, has the same status as Avram. Mm -hmm. Getting promised offspring too numerous to count by the divine.
0: It's, a, it's the same issue, is it? a, a matter of faith,
1: do you have faith or not. So certainly one way to look at it is, okay, do I believe this malach? Okay, do I have faith that I'm going to go back and allow mistreatment at the hands of my mistress because I believe this? Generally, the folks who encounter a malach believe it, right? They're convinced, right? Wait,
0: no. His wife says, guess what? He all that <laughs> right. You know, so uh, at least that my sense of it wasn't there's a, a real parallel between those two decisions made by these people. I, okay. I think
1: I think absolutely. But the
0: practical decision actually I think is what's coming. Which right. is look, you're pregnant. Okay. What are you gonna do out here in the woods? Right. It's a false it's a false choice. I mean to kay. say that there's a choice at all. Okay. Because uh-huh. she's totally vulnerable out of her woods pregnant. And
1: go back where you're go, safe, where yeah.
0: your baby will be, you know.
1: So born. but but what I want to be clear about, it's not the Malach who sets up a false choice. Hagar did that. When Hagar left pregnant, yes. she Major set up uh, what What is her What are her options like And actually Sabina Tuval points out None of these people have choice None of them have a choice Sarai is barren That's not her choice Hagar has no choice about getting pregnant And or having to go back Because what is she going to do And Avram certainly has no choice like He's really stuck right In some ways um, In the whole situation But
0: she cannot go back to Egypt
1: Presumably not. Presumably not. She's been sold as a slave. She's now pregnant with an enemy baby. Presumably, no. She can't go back to Egypt. I mean, maybe she could. Maybe that's one of the things she's thinking is she's going to go back home. Okay, possibly.
0: Well, if I look at it as a mythical story, Mm I look at it in a way that we have to be aware and mindful of our own slavery. Personal 100%. 100%. Slavery. That's what this is about. Okay.
1: It's also about uh, where we are with the children of Agar today. So, Reuben, yeah. that is an answer to your question. I was Why is this story here at all? Remember, a lot of the Genesis narratives are here to explain what is. And how it got to be that way. Israel already was having trouble with the Ishmaelites. They're cousins. They're cousins. But they're already having trouble with the Ishmaelites. And this story comes to explain why. So a lot of these stories get here because you're already at war with those guys. Why? Because my ancestor and their ancestor had a fight. Right that's often how mythic history works. So that that's one answer. Sarah's just given one answer to possibly why this story is here, but what's important I think also to remember and because we're we're still in the situation today, you're exactly right Sarah. What's important to me about the story is and there are half brothers. This story doesn't say they are alien animals. This story says they are children of Avram. They are our half siblings. And that is a really, really important part of the story that too often I think we forget is that it's here to say we're related. And sometimes the people you fight the worst with are the people you're related to and you're fighting over what you perceive to be a scarcity of land of resources, of power, of whatever mommy's love, God's love, whatever it is, there's a scarcity of you don't beat on anybody as hard as you do your siblings. And that's an important part of the narrative that we too quickly and too easily um, read over and want right, to say they're so different. They're fundamentally different than we are because that's easier, isn't it? It's way easier to make war on somebody who's fundamentally different than you are when you but our own story is they are family. Not that it makes it easy, not that it makes it pretty, not that it's OK. They're not entirely other than you, Israelites, descendants of their cousin.
0: Sarah, what, it just shows that a you a little character in, I mean, just, it seems like, you know, she'd be with both people of
1: character that Hagar was living with that weren't going to be abusing her in any way, I think, right? It, we're, we're told that Sarah abuses her. Uh-huh. She afflicts her. It's what the Egyptians do to us in Egypt. That's the same verb. Sarai is not being nice here to Hagar in any way.
0: But, that, but before that, she probably was that and that seems had a relationship that she could trust and she could be with and not feel threatened by her
1: that, that is absolutely one, of, one read, absolutely
0: but then it like why does God have to make the promise to her as opposed to just going back and
1: ah, so we're going to go there, yes
0: um, probably just my ignorance about Islam but so in this story God is saying to um, Hagar that her son will, will generate a multi- multitude of people, but he's not saying, and I have a covenant with those people. He's saying to Abraham, your children I have a covenant with. Them. And your, right? So who, how did Hagar and Ishmael, how do they become Islam? Like, when does it come into the picture that they have a separate understanding of religion? You know what I'm saying? Like they're out there in the desert and they're called Ishmael, but when do they
1: so, so that, that is about the history of Islam right. Right. Th- That's a whole another. Yeah, but, but the short answer is Islam chooses to read itself into this narrative. The question isn't when do Hagar and Ishmael become Muslim. The question is what's up with Islam choosing to see itself as a descendant of Ishmael from this story Right? They adopt this narrative and read themselves into the history of Hagar and Ishmael. Now that would be an interesting class that I'd be happy to teach, um, right? But that, but that's too, that, that's how it happens, right? Islam comes much later and and reads themselves into this. Correct. It just isn't
0: expressly
1: that way, because this is our story. Right? They have a different story. Ishmael's the one offered up on Mount Moriah in their story, not Isaac. Right? So there's a different story. Okay. All right. So the angel of God says to her, Hinehara, you are with child and you will bear a son and you will name him Ishmael. What does Ishmael mean? God has heard. God has heard, and you will name him, not Avram, not Sarai. You will name him, meaning he's going to belong to her. What was the agreement? Exactly. The agreement was it was going to build up Sarai. It's going to be Sarai's heir, Sarai's son. The Malach is saying, Go back, you choose. If you go back and submit to Sarai's treatment, you will have a son. You will name him. He will be as the multitudes. of. I'm making the same promise to you that's been made to Avram. You decide. God has paid attention to your suffering. God has heard. He's going to be, right, as we're told, a wild ass of a man. <laughs> So we see that as terrible. I'm not sure that it is. I'm not sure that it is. If you are in the wilderness, right, who survives in the wilderness? The wild ass. ass. Right? That's who makes it. That's who's sturdy. That's who, right, who who can, right. And and he's going to be at war. He's going to be struggling. Okay? We're we're clear about that. He's going to be, there's going to be a lot going on for him. I, I'm only rushing because I know we're out of time. Um but he shall in
0: opposition.
1: Right. So he's gonna ha he's, okay, so he's gonna be mercenaries, okay?
0: Yeah,
1: okay. Vatikra shame Adonai. What happens here? She calls Adonai, who spoke to her, so she clearly understands this as an encounter with Yuri Vavhe. Not just a malach. She understands this to be an encounter with vav Vavhe itself. She's she calls the name of vav Vavhe who spoke to her. So she's identifying who spoke to her is not a Malach, it's Yudhe Vav itself. What does she call that deity? What does she call that being? Somebody read me your translation. That is not a translation. That's the Hebrew. Read, read me the translation. Pass there, El because what?
0: Have I not gone on seeing after he saw me?
1: <laughs> read it one more time slowly, Richard. Okay.
0: Have I not gone on seeing after he saw me?
1: The Hebrew is torturous. The Hebrew is absolutely tangled.
0: This is totally
1: different. It's totally different. What does yours say, Ruben? It says, one who looks upon me.
0: Well, even here, I have seen the back of the one who looks upon me.
1: And Whoa. <laughs> I wish I had seven translations for us to read, because it's, it's really not very translatable. So I'm going to give you the closest guess I can, right? She calls... She calls this L E. What is Ro E? Sees me. me, possibly, because the E, the, that Yud on the end, could be me. It's something about seeing, for sure, right? The Rash and the Aleph tell us it's something about seeing. Sees me, okay. God who sees me. She names it that. Why? Ki Amra. For she says, here's her quote Hagam Halom raiti achare roe it's just tortured hagam have not also halom gone on raiti i saw achare after roe i was seen or it saw me but it so laura your point is absolutely well taken whenever you have a malach it's a malach it's god it's a fire it's a bush it's a voice it's uh right it's all it's all really confusing it's all really a mess the language is a mess because on some level this is ineffable this is tr- the the very mess of the text is reflecting an encounter that is really not explicable.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <also> <laughs> you're saying that's not an original thought
1: on my part. Is that what you're saying? But is she also
0: saying that she can't believe that she's still alive? She's she's. Somebody who perhaps believes that if you actually have an encounter with the divine, you're, you get zapped (laughs) and, and wait, God saw me and I'm still going on seeing, you know, it's
1: kind of weird. Absolutely. This seems to be part of what she's getting at. I have encountered this and I'm still here to see like that that's a miraculous thing that she has survived the encounter does definitely seem to be part of this. Definitely something about seeing and being seen. Are slaves seen? Not necessarily. And if they're seen, what are they seen as? Objects. Hagar seems to be saying something about being recognized as a person, that the divine sees her, as Hagar, not just as Shifcha. Wait, so this
0: means that Hagar is really the one who created Islam. With her epiphany of seeing God and raising a child to follow that house.
1: For Islam, yes. Yeah. In our story, it has nothing no, to do with Islam.
0: She created a son after her God experience. Yes,
1: yes, mm-hmm. yes. She becomes the mother of a people. Yeah. The same way Avram has promised that. And she does not stay in his household. She becomes the mother of a people. She names him. She, as we're going to learn in chapter 21, finds a bride for him. She becomes a matriarch in this episode. And the choice, Laura, is is that what you want? If you go back, you will become the mother of a people. So I hear, I totally hear, she has no choice. And the malach seems to suggest, and you don't have to. Okay, so we're, we're going to hold both of those. And um, what I want to leave us with is, this is the first encounter with a malach by an Egyptian, Shivcha. She names God. She calls God El-Roi because blah, 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 blah. However we want to translate the blah, blah, blah. She names God. In our foundational narrative, to have this be one of the first encounters with the Malach, oh, ah, someone naming God, that it is someone out of place, out of her station, out of context, right? Fugitive, Egyptian, pregnant, slave woman, I think is absolutely remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. I'm going to give you the thoughts of my... Um, colleague Toba Spitzer on both this and uh, chapter 21, the first two uh, encounters. And she says, uh, in being seen and named, Hagar achieves her own power to see and to name.
0: You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org